0: Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the Old Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. 4.2, a tale of two kings. Well, g'day again. Glad to have you back for another podcast. In some ways, this is part two to the last one, building on the ideas from last time about the kinds of response that we can make to God in times of crisis. So one of the most important lessons in chapters 18 and 19 of Jeremiah was that the future is not set in stone. Different paths lay before you. Life is not a blueprint that you can fall off. There are always good and bad choices that you can make. So how do these two responses actually look, whether we turn left or right, so to speak? To answer that, we're going to look at Jeremiah again and see what he had to say about two Judean kings who, in their time of crisis, modeled the two choices that we looked at in the last podcast. One went the way of malleable clay and the other chose to become a smashed pot. It's interesting actually that our tale of two kings in this podcast is about a father and his son. Our first king is the legendary King Josiah, arguably the best king that Judah ever had, And the second king, the bad one, is his son Jehoiakim, ending with an M. Not to be confused with another king, Jehoiakim, with an N. So the story of Josiah is told in 2 Kings 22 and 23. Um, And it was during his reign that Hilkiah, the high priest, came across the book of the law in the temple, which was probably like an early version of the, the book of Deuteronomy, which had been lost for hundreds of years. So what happened next is is interesting because here we have an example within the Bible of a biblical character hearing and responding to another part of the Bible. So how did King Josiah respond when his scribe read the book of the law to him? Well, quite simply, 2 Kings 22, 11 reports this, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And as well as tearing his royal robes in grief, Josiah immediately insists on a whole bunch of serious reforms, famously known as, wait for it, Josiah's reforms, which meant that he set about ridding the nation of false idols and places of idolatrous worship. So when you're reading the Book of Kings, you'll see these referred to as high places, and that's simply because sacred sites in the ancient world where people offered sacrifices and burnt incense were often established on hilltops. Not all high places were bad because some of them were established to worship Yahweh. But Solomon also built lots of them for his wives, many foreign gods, and that's that's what led to the major problem here in Israel and in Judah. Anyway, unfortunately, in spite of Josiah's admirable response to scripture, those changes came too late to save the people of Judah from also going into exile. As God puts it to Josiah through the prophetess Huldah, he says, your response is right, but this people are too far gone. I'm paraphrasing there, by the way. But God basically says, it's good what you're doing, Josiah, but it's too late. And as I mentioned previously, sometimes things have to get worse before they can get better. But regardless of that outcome for Judah, which isn't great as a nation, King Josiah's encounter with the book of Deuteronomy is sort of paradigmatic of how God's people ought to respond to Scripture. In these chapters about Josiah, uh, his reading leads to interpretation, which always happens, which in turn leads ideally to obedient action, right? So reading, interpretation, action. And while God's judgment on Judah is unchanged, God does relent. He changes his mind about Josiah and what's going to happen to Josiah. He says this to him in verse 9, 2 Kings 22, verse 9. Because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and because you've torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I'll bring on this place. So in accordance with what we saw in Jeremiah 18, Josiah's malleable condition leads him to an alternative and better future. It doesn't sound like much, but he's not going to see all the disaster that God's gonna bring. Now let's turn now to Josiah's son Jehoiakim. This next story is found not in Kings, but actually over in Jeremiah chapter 36. But Josiah dies a bit of an untimely death, uh, and when Jehoiakim becomes king, he is then confronted with Jeremiah's prophecies of doom. Right. So you'll notice this story has the same ingredients. Again, we've got a Judean king, we've got a prophet, and we've got some passages of scripture. But the interaction between those ingredients is very different, so we end up with a very different outcome. In this story... Jeremiah has been prophesying warnings and judgment against Jerusalem for some time. And Baruch, Jeremiah's scribe, has been writing these things down. When the scroll eventually makes its way to King Jehoiakim, it's read aloud to him. But as the scroll containing Jeremiah's prophecies is read out loud before the king, Jehoiakim's actions are contrasted with those of his father. It says this in Jeremiah 36, 24, Neither the king... Nor any of his servants who heard all these words was alarmed, nor did they tear their garments. Right? So the passage is explicit about the contrast between Jehoiakim and his father Josiah. Because instead of tearing his robes like Josiah did, Jehoiakim responds by tearing off sections of the scroll and burning them on the royal hearth in the fireplace. The same Hebrew verb is used in both instances too, karah, to tear. And so in two kings and in Jeremiah, we get this tearing, but with very different outcomes or consequences. Walter Brueggemann, that uh, scholar I mentioned earlier, he says this, given the same term in both cases, that word for tearing, it's likely that the two texts are interrelated, offering the two classic responses of resistance and repentance to the authority of the scroll. So there you have it, a tale of two kings. Both of them are in positions of authority and responsibility in times of crisis, but they respond very differently. Now when Josiah hears the law being read aloud, and I I like to think that Shaphan, the, the king's secretary, was preaching a little as he went. The king is able to imagine this stark difference between his inhabited reality Right, where the covenant with Yahweh is just continually being broken, and the possibility of a world where the people of Judah are obedient to God's law. And so he, he thinks about this dissonance and what he can do about it. And for his part, Josiah gets on with doing everything in his power to effect change. Jehoiakim also feels a conflict between Jeremiah, Jeremiah's warnings and his own self-centered reality, but he refuses to budge. He refuses to budge in the direction that the prophetic word is urging him. He shows no alarm at Jeremiah's prophecies of doom. He just rips the scroll in disdain and chucks it in the fire, right? To use Jeremiah's image, he is a hardened pot about to be smashed. Now, we can make these comparisons between Josiah and Jehoiakim, and we have, but we can also listen to the way that the prophet Jeremiah compares these two kings, because he does exactly that as well in Jeremiah chapter 22. Let me read you verses 15 to 19. Are you a king because you compete in cedar? Right, that means, you know, because you just got a big house. <laughs> did your father, Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? then it was well with him. He judged the cause of the poor and needy, then it was well. Is not this to know me, says the Lord? But your eyes and heart are only on your dishonest gain, for shedding innocent blood and for practicing oppression and violence. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning King Jehoiakim, son of Josiah of Judah. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, my brother, or alas, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Alas, Lord, or alas, his majesty. With the burial of a donkey, he shall be buried, dragged off, and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. Harsh. But Jeremiah doesn't compare these two kings in terms of how well they understood the scriptures, but by their enacted responses. Did you notice that? He talks about the things that characterized their daily living. So Jeremiah says about Josiah that he ate and drank and did justice and righteousness, all in one breath. You see, the way he just runs those together. Even during a national crisis, treating people fairly and keeping covenant with God come as naturally to Josiah as the daily habits of eating and drinking. And what does God have to say about that kind of lifestyle? Well, he says this. He says, this is what it means to know me. And that word know, it, it refers to a personal knowledge. It's a funny concept, knowing God. I mean, how does any one of us demonstrate that we know God? You, you, you meet people sometimes who say, yeah, I know God. How would you verify that? How, well, you might be thinking you can't. You can't verify whether anyone knows God. People often claim to know him, but there's no real way to tell. Well, Jeremiah doesn't think so, does he? And it's not just Jeremiah speaking here either. This is a a thus says the Lord moment. This is what Yahweh himself says about people who know him personally. He says you can recognize them. You can recognize them. Not because they walk around saying, I know God, me and God, we're like this. No, you you recognise them because they eat, drink, sleep and breathe righteousness. And don't forget what righteousness is. If you've forgotten, go back and listen to podcast 3.2 again. Righteousness is about doing justice to a relationship. And for Josiah, that meant strict observance of the law of Moses. Not for its own sake, but as a way of expressing the character, the heart of God. It meant ridding the land of idols that were leading his people astray. For us, righteousness means acting in faith. And that means all those things that we've discussed in the last few podcasts. It means bearing the character of God because we truly believe that we are images of God. It means obedience, not not so that you feel like a better person or that you're better than anyone else, but for the sake of God's reputation in the world. And look, sometimes it takes a crisis for us to stop, to stop playing all these games that make us feel like someone important and to ask ourselves, who am I when nobody is watching? When disaster strikes in our lives, it often brings us to a crossroads, sometimes to a crossroads that we will never have the opportunity to stand out again. And the choices that we make in those circumstances They matter. They really matter. If you've been at a crisis point in your life, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. So what are you? Malleable clay? Open? Receptive? Obedient? Repentant? Or when you hear God's generous word of judgment, when he offers you the gift of conviction, will you harden your heart like Jehoiakim, burning God's words to you, in the fire. You know, the good news here is that even if, you know, you've got some regrets and you feel like you've gone the way of Jeremiah's smashed pot, that's still not the end of the road. And this is where we swing back to the big picture, the biblical story. Because what happens with Israel and Judah is that, yeah, they hardened their hearts, and yeah, it led them to brokenness. But from that place, They begin to pick up the pieces and rebuild, like we saw in Ezekiel 37. You remember that vision of dry, dusty bones. God is still there. His spirit is still hovering over the surface of the chaos, ready to recreate. And it's not surprising, perhaps, but when Israel and Judah do pick up the pieces of their fragmented identities, God's present. And he says to them, turn to me and I will turn to you. He says it again and again through the prophets. If you orient yourself towards me, I will orient myself towards you. And there's a promise of a new covenant on the horizon. So the question for today as we conclude is simply this. Do those who know you know that you know God? (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't meant to be a tongue twister. Let me ask you that again. Do those who know you know that you know God? Have a think on that. Catch you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.